Scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Let us hear God's word. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. fitting that we conclude the last commandment in our Ten Commandments series. We'll, we'll conclude actually next week, but it's fitting that the Tenth Commandment lands on Thanksgiving Sunday. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, there was a pastor, D.L. Moody, he tells a story about an eagle who was very jealous of his rival, another eagle that flew higher than he did. And one day the eagle, out of his bitterness and jealousy, went to a hunter and said, can you shoot that eagle down? And the hunter said, yes, I, I still, I just need a few feathers for my arrow. So the eagle gave him his feather and the hunter shot at the rival, but he was so high up, the arrow couldn't reach it. So the hunter said, I need more feathers. And soon the jealous eagle kept giving his feathers over and over and over again until at the very end, that eagle had lost so many feathers that the hunter took advantage and killed that jealous eagle. And D.L. Moody, he concludes this story with this. If you are envious of others, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I'm just going to leave that up there for a while. And so the word is you shall not covet. What does covet mean? Uh, covet is this Hebrew word mad, and it just simply means to desire greatly, to desire greatly. 
to envy another's possessions, covet. So this commandment is unique in that it's entirely something that's happening inside of us. Like, you can't see coveting. You see the outward action of the covet, but when you're coveting in this moment, you could be jealous and no one could know. Coveting is the one sin where it's hidden beneath the surface. I could see murder. I could hear lying. I could, we could see and know that adultery happened, and we could hear any kind of stealing or see it. But you just don't go, hey, oh, I see coveting happening in you. Coveting is this like carbon monoxide sin along with pride, and it's inside of us. So I want to share, though, is all coveting bad? Is all coveting bad? And so the word coveting, if it means to desire greatly things, is it wrong to desire a house? Is it wrong to desire a good house? No way. Is it wrong to desire a nice car? No. Is it wrong to desire, if you're single, say amen to this, to have a good wife or a husband one day? Is that wrong? No. I want to hear younger people be more convicted than that. Um, It's not wrong. It's not wrong to desire greatly good things. So what what is this saying? Well, I want to look in the Bible, and if you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, can I use a clicker? So get out out of the panel so I could click it. Okay. Uh, All right. So if, if you could get out of the preview panel, Ethan. Let me click it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So can we read it together? And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant. And the word there is quamad, covet, desire greatly. And to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God, before sin, Genesis 3, sin entered. Genesis 2, God made trees so our eyes will yearn greatly covet in a good way good food so coveting desiring greatly itself is not sin but this is where it becomes a problem maybe this is not working so when the woman saw genesis chapter 3 verse 6 that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and here's that word covet quamad in this context to desire greatly, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of her husband who was with her. By the way, men, before we use this verse to say, see, the woman messed up, I've always liked that verse. The man was with her, and he ate it. Isn't that interesting? Both verses say covet. The eyes sought greatly with great desire. Before sin entered and after sin entered. So what's the issue here? The issue here is that, well, the statement is that ambition is not a bad thing. For example, dude, I want to make millions of dollars if if it'll mean to expand God's kingdom, to plant churches, if it means to build a hospital in the poor areas. I want to be the wealthiest man to do these things for God. I want to desire... And be ambitious for many people who don't know Christ to know his good news that brings salvation to all. I want to have a car. I want to have a car that takes me from A to B. I want to be ambitious 
so I could do work and minister or to get to my job. So the desire is not the issue here. So what is this commandment forbidding us from doing? And so maybe the clicker doesn't work. So, so it's forbidding us from clearly, let's, verse 17 again, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Did you hear the difference? His stuff. His ox. His donkey. Your neighbor's wife. Your neighbor's house. When the desires of our eyes is captured by other people's things or the things that God forbids like the tree, that covetousness doesn't become good ambition. It becomes a lust of the heart that desires. By the way, isn't that creepy to say, hey, how about a little Joey's wife over there? Isn't she a hoot? Boy, I wish I had a wife like her instead of old Sally Mae Hag. And so, like, we talk like this, and it's like God's saying, wait a minute. Desire good things, but now you're desiring the wrong things. And the Tenth Commandment, it, that's what it's curving. The desire becomes sin when we desire what God forbids. And so, the Tenth Commandment is not saying don't be jealous or don't, uh, don't relish good things. So don't tell your kids, hey, temper it down, you know. Hey, temper it down with your income. No, hey, if God allows you to make a lot of money, praise God. Go, go for it. But if your ambition is to make money so you could be powerful, strong, and boastful, and to have all that you want without God in sight, now this is where God is saying, you shall not covet. So why is it a sin? Why is it a sin? First and foremost, it's idolatry. Let's fill in this blank. Let's see. Next slide. Unless I have blank, I cannot be happy. Whatever you fill that blank in is your God. This is not my idea. This is from um, Tim Keller. This is from David Kinnaman. This is from whatever. Unless I have blank, I cannot be happy. Whatever you fill that in is your God. Unless I have that job. Unless I have that car. Unless I have that house with that pool. I cannot be happy. And what th we call this in the Bible is idolatry. And so we make things that God gave as the greatest thing. And whatever we fill, we have replaced the treasure that is God with mediocre things. And I think God loves us too much to let us chase after things. And whenever we say, I must have it, I must have it now, what is that saying? I'm entitled I want to be satisfied. It's about me. And this describes our society that's lost its mind, really. We chase after the next thing. We chase after the next wife. We get married. Maybe this wife didn't work out. This husband didn't work out. You know what? I need a, someone who's great. We, we, we can't be content. We chase after another job. Right now, millennials and gen millennials are changing jobs 30 times in their lifetime. Gen X changed jobs seven times in their lifetime. Boomers change jobs three times on average in their lifetime. So there's something going on here. Options are plenty, uh, choice is plenty, but one thing, if it's driven by covetousness, where, uh, you know what, I don't like the way the boss looks at me, I want something else. 
then we can't ever find this contentment. So this is why we read Ecclesiastes 2. And Christian, thank you for your reading. Um, Ecclesiastes 2, what is he saying? I made great works. I built houses. I made myself gardens and parks, pools. I, I, I got servants. I made myself gold. I got treasures of the king. And I delighted in all of this. And look at verse 10 in Ecclesiastes 2. Listen to this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. We live in land of plenty where you could buy almost anything you want. Or you take out a loan to get whatever you want, which is so foolish. But Americans, we do this as if it's normal. Why? Oh, I don't mind a $30,000 loan because I want it now. Verse 10, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my help from heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. I worked hard. I deserve this. I, I, I deserve it. I've earned it. Okay. And listen to what he says. Last verse. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. It was a striving after the wind. NIV says chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, whenever we make things our treasure, aside from God, we will never have enough. Can you imagine eating? I love steak, and my doctor just told me I can't eat steak. <laughs> so I love steak. Can you imagine eating filet mignon right now, tonight? Great, right? Woo, filet mignon. Can you imagine eating it tomorrow for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and the next day? And the next day, and the next day. What happens to that filet mignon's flavor? You are repulsed by it. In fact, you're like, oh, give me broccoli. I'm done with filet mignon. And what is that? It's not the object. You're not wired to have all that you want. You can't have your cake and eat it too. We're not wired to be satisfied by things. And the Ecclesiastes writer says, all of it at the end of the day, I got everything I wanted, and there I am with nothing. And so he followed through on it, and this idolatry was so empty. It's a sin because this coveting breaks every other sin. What's the source of murdering? I murder because I want something and someone's keeping me from it. What's the source of adultery? I looked. And behold, oh my goodness, she is so beautiful. I want her now. Or I want him now. Stealing. <laughs> what? That's the easiest one, right? I want that. It's, I don't have it yet. I will take it from you. Lying. We deceive other people's reality, take advantage of them. We sabotage them for our good. How about the first four? Thou shalt have no other God before me. Do not make any idols. Do not use the Lord's name in vain and keep the Sabbath. We break all the things about God because God is not my priority. I am. Idolatry. We break every single sin, including honor your mother and father, because they didn't raise you to love things. Hopefully they raise you to love God. And so sin of covenant is that we, it leads us to break every other co commandment. It starts from the heart. But I think this one is the most tangible. Coveting, what are you communicating to God when you say, how come Bill gets to have that house 
that car, that wife, the golf game, all the money he has. Why him? What am I saying to God? You owe me. I resent the life you've given me. Covenant is communicating, God, you're not worth following. You don't know what you're doing. You're not fair. Um, this envious heart, it takes root ultimately in resenting God because God has not given you what you assumed you are entitled to have. God owes us. And so not only does it stop, not stop with God, but we resent Bill. We resent others who have more. We're like, he's such a doofus. I'm smarter. I'm better looking. I'm more successful. Why him? And so can you love somebody when you're chasing after their wife? Can you love somebody when you're chasing after their husband? You can't love them. You resent them. And so the sin of resentment is what corrodes. And that's what makes you want to work harder, faster, make more money to impress things. And you're chasing after the wind because of coveting. Uh, I love this movie from the 80s. How many of you remember the movie Amadeus? Remember Amadeus? It's like a biography. Oh, gosh. I just saw a clip of it recently, and I was like, I forgot how good that movie was. And so basically it's narrated by a guy, composer Salieri, and he was just the renowned composer, musician. And then this little peepsqueak teenager named Mozart rises to the ranks, and Salieri is so stunned, enamored, and then he starts realizing, how come this buffoon, literally, this immature buffoon has God's voice? And so this is one of the uh, captions in one of the reviews. Salieri was obsessed with Mozart's voice of God and fascinated with his talent to master the art of music. Salieri was a fan of Moses' work and portrayed himself as his friend, but on the inside, where is coveting? Inside, he despised him and his talent. Salieri does everything in his power to defeat and overshadow Mozart's reputation. The sin of coveting and wanting what you do not have that you see in others will kill you, literally. Or it will kill the object of your wrath. So how do we covet? Well, well, let's look back. We'll keep it simple. Look at Exodus 20, verse 17 again. It says, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, wife, their servants, ox, donkey, or anything. So first thing, stop comparing your house with others. We, we do this by saying, oh my goodness, this is your house. Wow. And so we combine grumbling of what we have and we have the pride that peeks out and says, well, I'm a little embarrassed. I live in this place. Look at this mansion they have. We, we covet by comparing and saying and letting our pride get the better of us. And sometimes you hear that voice that says, you deserve better than this guy. You know, it's time for you to step up. And so in America, we have that saying, keeping up with the Joneses, which is what? Hey, feel that coveting. Don't be don't be secondhand. You got to be number one. C can we keep it real? Thanksgiving is a time where families get together, and some families we do this. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a show off, show and tell list. My Joey, oh my goodness, he is going to Harvard. He's got an internship with Boeing, but 
I don't, pr- praise God, praise God, praise God. And, and then, so you get riled up like, well, well, my daughter Sally, she, she was honored by her Girl Scouts, and, and so what are we doing here? We're stoking each other's covenant. We're not thankful. You're just trying to impress the family who you won't see for another 364 days. And so we live like this as if this is the norm. And we play into that game. What if, what if I would love to say, <laughs> not much going on, but boy, they're, they're living each day by the grace of God. And B's, A's, they're healthy. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in their life. What if that's just the case? And so we covet by comparing our houses, our children, our families. And then with spouse, how do we covet our spouse? It may not be like, I want your wife. I don't think we're that dumb. Although I did hear a story where somebody said in a small group, I'm sinning because I love your wife. That was a true story. That's explicit and blatant, but I think there's other ways. We may not covet by desiring someone else's wife, but this is how we do it. You ready? We look at our wife and go, (sighs) we look at our husbands and go, (sighs) it's just discontentment with what we have. So it may not even be looking at someone else, but we look at what we have and go, oh, Lord, have mercy. I guess I'll have to live another day with this. And then we look at our, and then I feel like God's going to say, have you looked in the mirror yourself? And how many marriages erode because that foundation of this thankfulness for who God has given, that two shall become one, how many marriages erode it because we forget that? And so we live in this culture where it says, hey, if you can have, you know, just what you want, go get it. Um, Third, Indentured servants, and this is not like slavery in America. This is indentured servants where people, you have so much wealth, you have people to take care of your estate. That means you're wealthy. So stop coveting their wealth. That pride of jealousy. Man, they're going to Hawaii again? Isn't this like their eighth time? (laughs) Hawaii is not great anyway. And what is that? It's coveting. It's envious. They're ox and donkey. You know what that's saying? How come he gets that job? Ox and donkey were working. They revenue revenue generators. They carry the weight of all the great things they have. And we look at them like, wow, they got eight U-Haul trucks to move? (sighs) And so we covet by comparing and seeing and assessing and analyzing and, and saying, gosh, I deserve more. Again, that's not ambition. That's just deeply desiring something else. So what can we do? And by the way, uh, I love how God ends that commandment. Just in case I missed anything, wife, house, donkey, servants, let me just add this part. Anything else. <laughs> I like how God puts that in there. And so what can we do? And there's two things we can do and one thing we can't. And so two things that we can do, whether you're a Christian or not, I want to just encourage us with you. The Bible tells us the first is Find the secret of life by contentment. Can we say contentment? D- just turn to the person next to you and say, would you be content? Just, just say it with attitude. Just be content. First Timothy 6 says this. But godliness, I go to church, I'm a pastor. Godliness, without contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, love, the desire, the coveting of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through these cravings that some have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, I like how my interpretation of this, understanding of this is, we shoot ourselves in the foot and set ourselves up for great disappointment by wanting things that we don't have and not valuing the things that already God has given us. Andrew Carnegie was the most philanthropic guy, I think, in America, literally. And this is his quote. Perhaps the most tragic thing about mankind is that we are all dreaming about some magical garden over the horizon instead of enjoying the roses that are right outside today. It's kind of uh, the idea about your spouse. If you start looking at other spouses, the grass is not greener on their side, but some pastor told me, so start watering your grass on your side. Gratitude and generosity is the second thing. Thanksgiving is appropriate. We just gave a lot of thanks. Exodus 20, verse 17, what if instead of coveting someone's house, we thank God that we have a place with a roof over our head, even if it's a shanty? What if instead of coveting another's wife or husband, if you're single, you thank God that God is the person you depend on the most? If you're married, you thank God. That some, some foolish girl married an idiot like you. That you're content that somebody has given you somebody. If you're coveting someone's wealth, thank God that you have daily sustenance. That you may even be able to help others that are less fortunate than you. If you're coveted about another's work or job, thank God that you have the ability to work. So gratitude is simply this response of grace. God, I don't deserve this, but you gave it to me. And here's what gratitude does. When you're grateful that God has given you grace in your life, the things that you don't deserve, you start treasuring what you have. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And so, so it's tra- treasuring it now, and then when you're grateful, guess what happens? You become this other G word. Ready? Generous. Generous people are not wealthy people. Generous people are those who look beyond themselves and see my things, even if that's small as, a, as like two copper coins that I could give it to God. And so the funny thing about gratitude is generosity. And by the way, when that comes, psychology today confirmed that our brains are wired, that the part of your brain that has generosity and gratitude are one. Isn't that interesting? By the way, churches, that's why saying give money. If you haven't given money to God, you are bad people. That doesn't work. It's actually not biblical. (laughs) But if you say, hey, God has given us more than we deserve, what are we going to do about it? That makes me want to be generous. So my stuff is not my stuff. I'm just a steward of all that God's entrusted to me. So first is contentment. Second is gratitude. So on this Thanksgiving, don't just feel thankful. Thank God. And lastly, the part that we can't control is really this word rejoice paul says rejoice 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 i tell you again rejoice philippians rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything or be covetous or be feeling like you don't have enough. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Scottish preacher um, realized that in his early days, his sermon wasn't that good, but he was faithful. And he saw all his colleagues starting to rise and had these big churches. And then he says, yet, he says, I have no reason to wonder that he used others far more than he does me. Yet envy is my hurt. And today I have been seeking grace to rejoice exceedingly over the usefulness of others, even where it casts me into the shade. Lord, take away this envy from me. When he can see that other successes are also God's grace in their lives, I can rejoice in their success. Amen? So Thanksgiving dinner, Aunt Louie is boasting about her life. Say, I praise God he's blessed you abundantly and I celebrate with you. Woo! That one's free. So let me, tell me how it goes. And then he ends with this. But our rejoice is not a conscious decision. It's a response for grace. And so I end with this verse. Not that I, have sp- I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what's his secret? What's your secret? The right church, the right preacher, the right worship music. Listen. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rejoice comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. When you have Jesus, when Paul, who says, I have nothing left, but Christ is enough for me, he is enough for us. Amen? I want to end with this. It's still raw. I think about Donovan. I think about Jason. No one has said, Boy, what a shame, because Jason possessed great wealth, because he had so many cars. You know, what a shame, because Don Inman owned like 10 houses, and what, what a shame, because, boy, look at the money in his bank account. Why did you and I grieve? Because the wealth is not in the things of this world. It's in who they are, in whom they rest, and in the strength that Christ gives to all people who are dead in their sin, and he has a power to make alive. So in grief, what can we do that profounds the world, that, that astounds the world? We can rejoice that though they are past, their wealth is in Jesus Christ who holds them. So keep that in mind. No one will look at your assets when you die. And this is why Andrew Carnegie says, he who dies rich is a disgrace. Did you know he said that? Your game of your life is not to end wealthy, but to end generous, reflecting the generosity of God who sent his son to save sinners from their spiritual bankruptcy into wealth. And if the Ten Commandments reflects any of these sins, it is not meant to crush us. It's meant to drive us 
to the one who is wealthy, who is eternal, who is the Lord of lords and King of kings. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Can you thank God in your prayer right now? Can you just say, God, you are my treasure. The thing that I cannot live without in this world is you. God, you are my hope. And this Thanksgiving, I am not just thankful, but I thank you because it all comes from you. These are all your graces. My breath that I breathe is your grace. And so, God, strip away this yearning to impress others, that pride, crush it, nail it to the cross, and help us to find contentment that we could breathe and say, God, you're so good to me. And that we could be grateful to say, Lord, I can't do it without you. And when we see what Jesus has done for us, we could rejoice and go out into this world with generosity. So would you pray? God, of course, we could always have more. Of course, we could gain more things. But God, I don't know who we're trying to impress because whether we have little or we have a lot, we have found the secret. It is Christ who strengthens us. And I don't want to make light of those who are really critical in poverty or their health is fleeting, hanging on a string. Because even in those situations, God, you are still good and you're still fighting. And so, God, in your providence, we look to you and say, Lord, let me not just be fixed on what I don't have, but let me thank you for what I already have, that I may be a blessing to those who may not. And so may we be a church of generosity, not because we're materially wealthy, but because we're spiritually wealthy, because we have you. And so, God, thank you so much on this Thanksgiving. Forgive us for coveting. Forgive us for the pride. And may our hearts continue to run this race and in gratitude and contentment be found at peace with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, amen.